this morning because you can never get enough of blessing God's name.
so much for your good singing today. So good to see you in the house of the Lord. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you on the back of that chair in front of you and pull out that little black folder if you'll be so kind and uh, put your name on it and give it to somebody sitting next to you. We'll appreciate you doing that today for us. Thank you so much. Uh, inside your uh, Sunday Courier, we have once again our, our gift list for Christmas, and we're still checking it off. Christmas is going on here at the church, as you know. And uh, here's where we are. Look at it. Uh, we're $10,000 away from reaching our goal, and, and that means that we can... When that happens, that money comes in, we can go down here and check each one of those off, put those checks in the mail to all these missionaries and these projects that were, uh, are so close to our heart. Now, I, I truly believe that we're not only going to reach the goal. I think we're going to go right off the top this year. Uh, and, uh, and so I thank those of you who have already had a big part. There, there's a lot of people who have had a big part already. And I appeal to those of you who haven't turned in your Christmas offering yet. I know you still have four or five weeks to do that. But just keep praying about it. Keep looking for it. Keep expecting it. And uh, let's, let's just all of us work together. It's, take, it's going to take every single one of us working together. Now, when we do go over the goal, the money that comes in over the goal will go on our missionary fund. And we use that throughout the year for various purposes. You know, missionaries are having this issue here. Sometimes a summer missionary, one of the young kids in our church will go out on a short-term mission trip and they'll say, hey, this is my church, will you help me? And of course, we can never turn down an appeal like that. So we like to be able to write those kids a check and say, here, listen, this will help you out. And so everything above the goal goes into that fund. Uh, it's used for missionary purposes. So let's just keep praying about it. Let's just keep looking for it. And when you do turn it in, uh, make sure it says Christmas on it so that we can keep it separate from our regular gifts. You'll notice here on our list we have Dave and Anna Gonzalez. And, uh, of course, uh, their daughter has uh, been here in our church for the last few weeks. Uh, she's going to Word of Life Bible Institute. And we have them down this year for $5,000 and, you know, uh, this ministry many of us are familiar with. Uh, they have people that come in even from other countries to help them in their ministry. They're from Argentina, uh, Mexico. And uh, they come in and they work with the young people there in Ecuador. Uh, they have this camp out, I call it the jungle, they don't call it the jungle. It's out in the woods somewhere. And uh, they built this camp out there and they take young people out there in the summertime and get them away from their environment and they preach to them and bring Christ to them. And, uh, and so they have to have a number of workers in order to do that. So I don't know how many they have on their staff, but what I know what Daniel did the last time we sent him a, a check like this, he distributed it among all of his workers. And maybe they might have 20 workers, I don't know. And so these people are so excited to be able to get some like real money uh, to help them in their life. You know, they're, they're giving up a lot for the Lord. They're working hard for nothing. And so these funds really do make a difference uh, in the lives of these people that get it. So uh, keep this thing close to your heart and uh, let's pray for the victory that we can go over the, over the goal. Out in the foyer is our 
Bible reading schedule for this year. I think we ordered 300 of them. I think most of them are gone. And so a lot of people in our church have picked one up and said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading systematically. If you read through that, you'll read the, the whole Bible through. You don't have to read the whole Bible through. Maybe you want to read half of it in this next year. This just gives you a little tool that you can check off where you're reading. So the next time you open your Bible, you know where you are. So if you haven't picked one up, please do. Let's stand together this morning as our ushers come and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, taking care of us. Uh, this last year, you've, uh, you've been with us every step of the way, and we thank you for that, Lord. And we pray now that uh, as we come together to render our gifts to you, Lord, uh, we thank you, first of all, for providing our needs and taking care of us. Now we've come to take care of your church, your, your ministry, not only here, uh, in our local area, but through our missionaries around the world. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
fear and death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 2. Thank you. I'd like to talk to you this morning about what happened after Christmas. You know, whenever we're studying through a portion of Scripture in the Bible, I always kind of like, I, I, uh, I resist stopping it. I, I just want to keep it going in the chronological order, and so today, uh, that's, that's where we are. What happened right, I guess we should call it right after Christmas, after the birth of Christ. Luke chapter 2, verse 21, we're going to begin reading there. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, uh, the, name, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. This is one of these verses in the Bible that we use when we talk about baby dedication or ch child dedication. Uh, this, was, uh, this was practiced in the Old Testament, that they would bring their children to the house of God and they would publicly present their children to the Lord. Jesus experienced this right here. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy or separate to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. It seems like in the nation of Israel, they are always waiting for the redemption of Israel. I think if we were to go to Israel today and interview anybody on the street, they would say, we just wish for the redemption of Israel. We just wish that those Old Testament scriptures that talk so much uh, about the glory of the Lord and how God is going to come and show his power, we wish, wish all of that would come to pass. They were wishing for that back in that day. And here is one who was one of the chief wishers right here. They were waiting for the consolation, the redemption of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it 
had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, Messiah. This man had a unique relationship with God. He really did. Uh, he was evidently not of uh, high, high order, just a common person. But here the Bible says in verse 27, So he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Every time I read this, I kind of smile because uh, through the years I've ministered to quite a few older people in the church and uh, sometimes they'll say, you know, there's just a few things I'm really praying about and once God brings that to pass in my family or in my life, I'm going to like say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to leave this land. I'm ready to go on to the promised land. I'm just waiting uh, for this particular thing to transpire. Well, in Simeon's life, he was waiting, uh, according to the promise of the Lord, to see the Messiah. And now he is actually seeing the Messiah. And he says to the Lord, okay, Lord, I can depart now in peace. Now, that's a, I think that would be a very peaceful way to go, don't you think? Rather than prying on your mind at the end of the days that uh, uh, this isn't happening, that's not happening. He says, listen, I'm at peace now. I can go and I can be with you. I've seen the Messiah. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now, this is quite a revelation because at this particular time, uh, you know, salvation was uh, for the Jews. That was the mindset that this is for us. Jehovah is our God. And, and they didn't want to look beyond their borders. And how, now here we have Simeon. And he says, listen, I know that you're going to bring salvation to the Gentiles. That means the rest of the world and the glory of your people Israel too. Uh, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own, own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Look over to verse number 45. So when they did not find him, and this is, a, this is another incident of the family bringing Jesus to the temple, second incident. You know the story. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, referring to Jesus, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Jesus at this time was 12 years old. And uh, these people were just blown away with what he knew about spiritual things if they only knew that he was the God of eternity in their midst as a 12-year-old boy. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Now, if you do not have a Bible that has red letters, you, uh, red letters will help you. 
because right here we have the first recorded words of Jesus. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? That's the first recorded words of Jesus in the Bible. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased, advanced in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. What happened after Christmas? Well, Jesus now is becoming a part of the human experience. It's hard for us to fathom this when you go back to John 17 and you see him talking about the glory that he had with the Father before he came to earth. And when you read the Old Testament and you see the glory of God and now you see Jesus being born out in a manger. Well, John put it this way, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, this whole human experience wasn't thrust upon Jesus. He volunteered for it with all of its pain. And when Paul was writing to the Philippian church, talking about the humbling of Jesus in Philippians 2.8, he said this, He was found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus' life started in a place of humility and ended in a place of humility on the cross. Hebrews 2.17 says, In all these things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. The experience of Jesus in this world was for a purpose. And the purpose was for you and I to know that whenever we pray to him, he understands what we're talking about. Now, I know that if we have faith to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, we, that's good enough for me, but it may not be good enough for some people. They might want more than that. And so for people who might want more than that, uh, Jesus came to earth, and the Bible says that he walked among us. Uh, he, was made, he was made like us to experience our pain, disappointments, rejection, and every other horrid, almost horrid thing that can happen to humanity. Jesus experienced those things. So that when we go to him, we can't go away and say, well, he doesn't understand. Here we find before us this morning the first visit to the temple uh, by his parents. And this was a parental decision. You know, parents make a lot of decisions, and sometimes they're right, and sometimes they're wrong. But his parents here decided, listen, we're going to be people of the law. Because remember, Galatians 4.4 4 said that Jesus was born under the law. The Bible says he came to fulfill the law. And so part of the law said, hey, let's go up to the temple uh, and let's fulfill the Old Testament law. Now, the temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And if you study the temple in the Bible, you know that Solomon erected the first temple and then it was destroyed. Uh, and then Zerubbabel came and uh, began to lay the foundation for the second temple. And then eventually Herod uh, did this tremendous building project uh, during the time of Christ. And the temple, the last temple that stood on Temple Mount, was erected there in 516 B.C. 
and was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. Now the Bible talks about a, another temple one day that will be built there in the future. But here we find in our story for this morning there were some parents that were making some decisions and their decision was to go and to follow the commands of the Lord in the Old Testament, the purification of Mary. When a woman had a, a male child, the Old Testament said that she was ceremonially unclean for a period of 40 days. That simply meant that she couldn't be a part of the religious community. She couldn't be a part, she couldn't go and participate in religious things until the time of her purification. If she had a... a not a male child, but a female child. And she was unclean for 80 days and had to go through this ritual of cleansing. And in Leviticus chapter 12, it says whenever that took place, they had to bring the family, that is, a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering, two offerings to the door of the tabernacle or the temple. And so this is what she was doing right here in our story for this morning. She was living according to the law of Moses. Her 40 days were up. She was showing up to be cleansed by these offerings. Now the offering she brought was not a lamb. It was uh, the offering of a poor person. Nonetheless, that was, that was allowed in the law and they, they brought it and she fulfilled the law. That was her purification. In that same time, she was presenting Jesus uh, as a, a, an offering to the Lord as well. Exodus 13 talks about consecrating the firstborn to the Lord. The Bible says the firstborn male belongs to me. And at that particular time, the male firstborn had to be redeemed. Uh, it was just kind of a little ritual that they went through. We recognize that the firstborn male belongs to God. Uh, we bring five shekels uh, to the temple, uh, redemption money. But here in this story, we don't find the redemption money mentioned. And so therefore, maybe Mary just and Joseph just consecrated him, dedicated him like Hannah did in the Old Testament when she brought Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She said, now I am giving him to the Lord and he will belong to the Lord his whole life. Uh, there's something about consecrating your children to the Lord, giving them back to the Lord. Well, Jesus performed all obligations of the law to fulfill all righteousness. Because remember when he was going up and down in the land, healing people in Matthew chapter 8, for instance, he, he, he healed a person of leprosy. And then he said, listen, I want you to go to the priest and have him examine you. And that was, of course, one of the stipulations of the law. So Jesus was very careful to obey the law. So much so that in John chapter 8, verse 46, he said, which of you can truthfully accuse me of any sin? He actually said that. Nobody could, of course. And so we have the purification of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We have the presentation of Jesus. And then we have the prophecy of Simeon. Now I understand that Simeon was part of a group called the quiet in the land. And what is that? These were people who lived a life of prayer and expectation, walking by faith. 
Their emphasis was not looking for a political or military solution to their problems. And I think if I were living back in there, I would not be a part of the quiet of the land. I would probably be part of the loud of the land. He was the quiet of the land. You and I know people like that today. They're believers, they're strong believers, but they're rather quiet. Uh, they're not speaking out on too many issues. That was Simeon. Simeon had a close relationship with God. He is said here to be just and devout. And that simply means that he was right with God and that he practiced his religion. You know, I think that there are a lot of people who are saved, but they're not good practicers of their religion. He was both. Uh, he seemed not to have an official position, and that was in keeping with the precedent that God was developing in the New Testament that some of the greatest blessings came to people in the most unexpected places. Uh, God was trying to develop that. God was looking for ordinary people, and he found one here in Simeon. And he said, now I can die in peace. He took Jesus up in his arms. He praised God. He said, salvation is to all people. And he turned to Mary, and he said, listen, Jesus is going to be uh, for some uh, a point of rising and for others a point of fall falling, depending on their relationship with him. And then he said this, a sword will pierce your heart. He said that to Mary. And I know even a casual reader of the Bible understands what that's talking about. I think that's talking most and foremost about Jesus dying upon the cross. A sword will pierce your heart. Because every mother knows when their children suffer, I think they suffer more. Motherhood is a call to the greatest joy and the greatest suffering, the greatest pain, too. When those little babies come along in the hospital or wherever you, wherever you find them, you're so excited and you say, this is the beginning of a very exciting life. And then as uh, time roars on, you find that this is just not as exciting as you thought it was going to be. This is a different kind of excitement. Um, motherhood is a, is a wonderful experience, but it's a painful experience. And, and Mary maybe experienced the most pain as a mother ever could because she had this perfect child in her house. And so that's what happened right after Christmas. And then there is this gap, this time gap, uh, in between that time, when the purification, the presentation of Jesus, the prophecy of Simeon, and now the second recorded visit to the temple. There is this time gap. Twelve years have elapsed. And now the family is making some... Uh, personal decisions. Jesus is making some personal decisions. And uh, they're decided that on his, he's 12 years old, they're going to go up in the Passover pilgrimage at this time. Uh, you know, when I read these about this in the Old Testament, I think, well, you know, I like to be a part of that. I really would. I, uh, these festivals were given for such a terrific purpose to keep God in front of the people. They were celebrations. You know, our life is busy, isn't it? How many people feel like you have a busy life? Would you raise your hand? That's a lot, most of you. Our life is real busy, and, and sometimes it's so busy 
that, uh, that God just kind of gets pushed aside, ignored. And so what, what the Lord did in the Bible, he said, listen, three times a year, I want you to show up in Jerusalem for the festival. Take time off for God, if that's what it takes. Show up for the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles. That's found in Deuteronomy 16, 16. Uh, Jesus was 12. And at age 12, he, was, he came into his age religiously. He was known as the son of the law at that time. He would become a full member of the synagogue. Today we call it Bar Mitzvah, uh, son of the commandment. Well, he, uh, he, they brought him up at the Passover time, and uh, whenever they left after Passover was over, after a period of time, they couldn't find him. They didn't do a head count. You know, when we have things around the church and our people take kids somewhere, I think they're pretty meticulous. Count the heads. Kids have a way of missing, getting missing, going missing. So there was no head count, and I guess they didn't think they needed to do that uh, because Jesus was a very reliable child. He was without sin, and, you know, I, hard, I know that's hard for us to understand that. His parents didn't have the same concern that other parents have in this respect. Joseph and Mary were not the parents who got together in the neighborhood crying on each other's shoulders saying, what, what are we going to do about our preteen in our house? He's driving us crazy. They weren't, that, they weren't in that group. And so they didn't have any worries in that respect. I also understand that women and children in these caravans, whenever they would come to the Passover, they would come in a caravan. Uh, they wouldn't just go down the road from Nazareth to Jerusalem. It was too dangerous. And so sometimes it would be hundreds of people would be in a caravan and they would go to the festival. That would be exciting for safety's reasons. And so I understand that women and children were up front of the caravan, men were in the back, I can't figure that out. So each parent may have thought that the child was with the other parent. But uh, after a while they found out that Jesus wasn't with them. And so an amber alert went out and they went back. And uh, even though he was lost, it was still their responsibility as parents to have made sure that he was with them. And so they came back and they found him. And if you'll look with me to verse 48, I want to show you something. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And every time I read that, I kind of uh, internalize that in some way because that's so familiar. Why did you do this to us? How many times have parents said to their, said to their kids, Kid comes in at the wrong time of the day or does something wrong, and, a, and the mother says, listen, why are you doing this to us? You're driving us crazy after all we've done for you. I still know how to articulate those words. You've said it, and you, or you will say it many times. Well, that's what Mary was saying right here. We're at our wit's end. Where have you been? Well, he was in the temple. Uh, the temple was not only a scene of sacrifice, but it was a scene of teaching and learning. 
A teacher must be a learner. Sometimes when we get a statement like this, we let it go over our head because we say, well, I'm not a teacher. Uh, well, you know, let me say to you today, you are a teacher. Everyone's a teacher. Everyone is teaching somewhere, someplace, some person. We have our circle of influence. We have our family. We have the people we work with. We're all teaching. Uh, we're teaching by what we say and we're teaching by how we act. And so in order for us to be a good teacher, we have to have some material. We have to be a learner, and that's what Jesus was doing. I understand that it was the custom of the Sanhedrin, that's the Supreme Court of Israel, uh, at that particular time during Passover to meet out in the temple courtyard and to have a back-and-forth question-and-answer session with the people. Now, how, how neat would that be? Here's Gamaliel, the teacher of the Apostle Paul, out there fielding questions on the Bible. And so uh, Jesus is caught up in this. And it's truly amazing uh, to us how caught up young people can get in the things of the Lord if they are nurtured in the things of the Lord. And I know that that's the most important thing that on your mind as a parent. How can I nurture my kids in the things of God? How am I going to help them to be sensitive toward God? And it's amazing, uh, whenever that happens in your home and here in the church, and uh, kids go home and they come up, they come up with the, uh, some pretty amazing things spiritually. And, they, and you scratch your head and you say, well, how do they know that? Uh, they have the faith of a child, remember. And sometimes at, at a young age, children get very specific about their calling in life. And I'm sure that as Jesus was interacting with the Sanhedrin here in some way, questions and answers, uh, they were, he was uh, having a very good time with them. Uh, he probably was just almost like toying with them a little bit. They were smart. But we don't know how smart Jesus was at this time. Look at verse 47. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Now remember, these are the doctors of the law. And here we find this 12-year-old this boy. And they were astonished at, at him. That word astonished there is translated beside oneself two other times in the Bible. So here we have all these distinguished professional Bible scholars and Jesus is interacting with them, and they are like beside themselves. Have you ever been beside yourself? I don't know exactly what that means, but I, I have a clue. It means beside yourself, right? They were beside themselves. Can you believe it? This 12-year-old boy, what he knows, his questions are so thrilling. And so Jesus is caught up in this environment and uh, his mother shows up and says, why have you done this to us? We are at our wits end and we have the first recorded words of Jesus. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He, he was learning there. He was learning because his ministry would be that of teaching. He is the great teacher. Uh, I must be about my father's business. You know, there are some things in life that we should do. There are some things in life 
we must do. Always remember that. And it's so easy to get those confused. I, all of us are guilty of that. There's so many good things that you and I could be involved in. People come and say, would you do this? Or would you get involved in it? Oh, yeah, I'll be involved in that. And I'll get involved in this. But so many times we offer the best on the altar of the good. And uh, we think, well, you know, this is a good thing. I need to be involved in it. But there are some things that we should be involved in, and there are other things that we must be involved in. And it's interesting, as you look through the New Testament, you find so many times Jesus used the word must. In Luke 4.43, he says, I must preach. In Luke 9.22, he said, I must suffer. In John 3.14, he says, I must be lifted up. That means crucified. I must be lifted up. His heavenly calling was to interact with other people. Um, and I think uh, that's part of our calling in life, too, to interact with people. Um, I don't think the Lord wants any of us to be a hermit, staying away from other people, because we have uh, a story to tell. It's not only our personal story, but it's a story about how we found Christ. And the world needs that story. And, you know, your story might reverberate with people a whole lot better than mine, but everybody's got a story to tell. And so that's what Jesus was doing. He was interacting, uh, and he was uh, asking questions. It was his desire to learn at age 12. And then uh, he was obedient in verse 51. He went down with them and came to Nazareth. Let me say to you this morning that obedience is like a step that leads us up the next ladder of Christian growth. It really does. This is a good time for us to think about this on this first Sunday. How obedient are we going to be to the Lord? I know sometimes you read the Bible and you say, oh, yeah, I know that. That's right. I should do that. And then we turn the page and we forget about that. We don't do it. And you know what that does is that sets up a barrier in your life that that hinders you in your development as a Christian. It is only through you obeying what the Lord has for you that you're ready to move to the next level of Christian growth and development. Now, I know Christians, and I certainly am not putting them down, that have never grown very much. They're just at the same level. They just never get anywhere. You know, it's just, it just, it's just their life never changes spiritually. It's not a happy place. We are born to grow. We are born to develop more in God. And we do that through obedience. When we see something in the Bible the Lord is speaking to us about, we say, okay, I'll do that. And it takes faith to do that because that, that pushes us out of our comfort zone. It takes faith to do that. But the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so what we do is we hear, we uh, exercise faith, and then the blessings come from God. Um, he obeyed. It's a step that we have to take in order to grow as a Christian. And so I don't presume to know what's going on in your life, but I do presume to think today that there are probably some Christians here this morning that God's been talking to you for an awful lot of, for a long time about some certain things, and you just kind of like, Shelve them. Okay, I'm not doing that. No. Uh -uh. And, and you wonder why. It's no secret. 
you wonder why you can't move on. The Christian life is supposed to be an exciting life of discovering God's truth for you and then responding to it in obedience and then growing by it and then experiencing the fruit and the result of it in your life. Well, Jesus was here growing in obedience. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God gives you. He was honoring his parents. Okay, I'll go back home. I'm having a good time here with the doctors of the law, but I'll go back home because you told me to. Well, he was growing. And lastly today, verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He was growing at every age of his life. He knew how to listen. He, was, he listened and he learned. He knew how to work. Uh, he was obedient to his parents. And then the Bible says here that he grew in wisdom. That means mental growth, intellectual growth. Uh, you know, it's good to grow intellectually. And uh, let God apply his wisdom to that. And then, notice what else it says here. Uh, he grew in wisdom and stature. Physically, he grew. Uh, physical growth and age, this is referring to. Uh, you know, that's the natural part of life, isn't it? God has given you and given me the temple in which he is to abide, and we, we need to take care of that. And every first of the year, we think more and more about it, don't we? And the older you get, the more you think about it. Because your mobility, your strength, your stamina, your energy is dependent upon the condition of your body. I discovered 1 Corinthians 9.27. And I like this first part of it. It, it. it says this, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Well, Jesus grew uh, in that respect, and I'm sure that uh, he... He took good care of what uh, the body that he had at that time. Uh, he, uh, he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, and look at this, in favor with God and men. Now the Greek word here for favor is charis, uh, the word that we translate grace. Oftentimes we use that word grace just to depict uh, the blessing of God on a sinner, but in this respect it does, it's not used that way. It's just use of the blessing of the Lord. God's, the Lord's blessing was upon him. God's favor was upon him. You know, as you're growing, now follow me this morning. This is really interesting. As you're growing in the Lord, God's favor is upon you. As you're growing in the Lord. Psalm 34.10 says this. Let's, uh, let's read that. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Now, digest that this morning. If you become a seeker of the Lord, you will not lack any good thing. Wow, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I think it's a parallel to Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. And so as we obey the Lord, a lot of times people think, well, you know, to obey the Lord, that's kind of hard, isn't it? No, it's, uh, it's a step of faith, but the blessings of it all 
are tremendous. The blessings of it all are tremendous. And so he had the favor of God on him because uh, he was uh, walking, of course, in obedience. And then he had the favor of men. Now, that's, this is strange to me. When I saw that, I thought, wow. The favor of people, too. And I was reading in it, and uh, I read somewhere that it said, you know, whenever truth becomes aggressive, that's when hostility breaks down. And at this particular time in Jesus' life, the truth wasn't aggressive. And when the truth became aggressive, then people came against him. Well, let's follow these people, their, their example in our life, okay? Let's make parental decisions that are right. Despite what this world is telling people, parents try to make the right decision. And then uh, after a period of time, there are those personal decisions that have to be made. Now, this is the conclusion, okay? So here we have Jesus... Uh, he goes back home, and he's growing all this time from age 12 to age 30. Let's say 18 years. Quietness. Jesus is growing. Christian growth is, is not the big bang. It's slow. Sometimes it's painful. It's meticulous. It's little. But it's gradual. And so for 18 years, we have quietness. And then all of a sudden, at age 30, Jesus steps out on the arena of life for his ministry, his short ministry. And we find Luke 3.22. And the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. I believe this. You know, you don't have to be anybody other than who you are. God made you a certain way. And he made you to be used in a certain way, different from me, and vice versa. But he expects all of us to be growing as a Christian. So that at every, follow me, that at every single juncture of our life, that he can look down at us and say this to us, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. You might say, well, there's so many things in my life that aren't right. Well, you know, I think that's, that's common of us all. It really is. But, but God wants us to just be growing in the direction of Christ-likeness. Uh, us making the decision to grow in all of these areas in wisdom, in these areas. And whenever we do that, we don't have to be up to someone else's standard. We just have to be up to the standard that God has set for us. And who knows what that is. But I know one thing. If we're growing, I think God could say this of us. You are my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. 
With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, uh, I'd like to challenge you to grow this year. Grow in your relationship. You know, that's the key issue. It's relationship. It's not religion, please. Not religion. You can have your fill of religion and and not go anywhere spiritually. Religion can't take you where, where you need to go. Only a healthy relationship with Jesus can do that. And the way that we do that is by turning the light on, by getting his instructions from the Word and spending a little bit of time with him and going over our problems with him and letting him help work, work those problems through with us. Uh, by making him a priority in our life. And that's when your Christian experience can become exciting. That's when you get out of the doldrums and say, hey, listen, this is really real. This isn't religion. This is a relationship with a living person, the God of heaven. Uh, I'd like to challenge you to that relationship today. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for... Uh, your word, there's just so much here, it almost just is beyond us, Lord. But as we've just picked away at the edges of, uh, of your truth today, uh, I know that you picked away at the edges of our heart and that you're speaking to all of us. Uh, and I just pray that all of us in this room will have a, a purpose this next year to, to grow in our relationship with you so that our Christianity is not designated a religion but it's designated a relationship with the living God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song today. As we sing this song together, if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life today or the life of a friend, you just feel free to do that.
Thank you very much. Um, out in the foyer, we have these little Bible reading records. Pick one up if you don't have one. You can also, if you like to read the Bible on the Internet, your computer, your iPad, your smartphone, all you have to do is go to our website, crossroadsministries.com, and it says Bible reading schedule. Punch it. Go to the date, the date, current date, and it will outline the reading for that day for you right there on your iPad or your, your phone. And it's, it's so simple if you'd like to do that. Um, so enjoy. Turn around and shake hands with everybody today. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>